Hey folks, you are listening to the Wait What If podcast. I am your host, Kevin Sullivan. Tonight, we have three-time world boxing champion, Bonnie Mann. We talk everything about the sweet science. One of my favorite things in the world is fights, whether it's UFC, boxing, wrestling, jiu-jitsu, judo, taekwondo. I don't care. I love all martial arts. And this is the first time I had a champ on the show to chat everything sweet science. So I hope you enjoy the program. I met Bonnie years ago when I got out of the service I was looking for something challenging to do, so I decided I was going to learn MMA and jiu-jitsu. I spent, gosh, I don't know, five or six years with some of the coolest people I've ever met, a family of fighters. Bonnie is an inspirational individual. She has a great story. Without further ado, Bonnie Mann. Listening to the Wait What If podcast. Uh, (laughs) Anyway, so uh, I thought it's long, long overdue that I get you on the show because um, for the listeners. About, I want to say 10 years ago, let me think, it's 2008, 11 years ago, I got out of the Air Force, and uh, we moved up to to Raleigh, and I had done some jiu-jitsu and stuff in the Air Force, and I had done some things, and I got up there, and I was new. I mean, I lived down in Southern Pines for a long time, and I was like, I got to find a gym. I got to find, uh, and I didn't want to go to like Gold's or something like that. I wanted to go to a, a, either a, a MMA gym or something. And we were checking out Carrie, and I said, hey, look, L.A. Boxing. I don't know what that is. So I went over, and I walked in, and I think you were there, and that's, that's how I met um, Bonnie Mann, the uh, former two-time WBE champion, correct? Uh, it's actually, it was three. Three-time. Um, oh, my goodness. Sorry. <laughs> yep. Oh, no, it's okay. It was uh, the WBE, which uh, you know was a minor belt at the time, but it was a a well-known belt over in Europe, but okay. over here in the States, it had just come over. So here in North Carolina, I actually, because of that title, uh, I became the first world female world champion um, from North Carolina. And then, and then with that, um, fast forward about five years later is when I won the WIBA and the WIBF. Okay. And, world titles. and what years were those? Um, those were both in 2010. Okay. Um, so I remember, and again, I don't want to jump all over the place, but it, this is the hard part when you know the person you're interviewing versus a total stranger is that you, you tend to jump around like, you know, with different stories and, and it's always hard to, to kind of stay in order here. But, um, if I remember, I was actually going to cut for you, uh, for one of the, the fights and I had been in grad school to go to PA school and, and the woman you were fighting put herself into kidney failure. And the, the fight had to be canceled. That's correct. So th- that was um, in 2010, and that was going to be against Carlette Ewell. And uh, unfortunately, uh, just, you know, as boxers, wrestlers, uh, you know, athletes do when you go to the extreme trying to make weight, uh, she ended up putting herself into kidney failure and um, was hospitalized and uh Fortunately, though, and luckily, she's she's doing well and and still in the fight game. Oh, that's good. That's good. I'm glad. I I was so disappointed because you were actually going to be the first. Uh, that was a title fight too, wasn't it? Yes. That was uh-huh. going to be my first professional title fight, and then she had to go into kidding. I was so disappointed. <laughs> well, you you were disappointed. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, I guess you were too. I guess you were too. <laughs> very, very much so. But yeah, things things happen. That's that's the fight game. But you still you still fought a couple months later, didn't you? If I remember reading your stats. Nope that that ended that ended up being it right there. Okay. Oh, that's too bad. How old were you when you were ready for that fight? Uh. Well, let's see. I am 51 now, and uh, so that was in 2010. Eight years ago. So, uh, so eight years ago. 43. Yeah. 43. What's with 43. what's with boxing and this this strange 
and I call it strange because I get I get if you're a um, a pitcher in Major League Baseball or something like that, even a batter in Major League Baseball, I get the longevity there because yeah, you're putting strain on your joints, but it, it's a different type of strain when it comes to boxing. But it's not a rarity for a boxer to fight well into his his late thirties, early forties, hers too. Um, is that what's going on there? Is that, it seems to be normal. And why is that even possible? Uh, well, you know, I think, and I think if you kind of look back like the last maybe 15 years, uh, 10 to 15 years, and you look at people like Bernard Hopkins, mm-hmm. um, you know, even, you know, George Foreman, when they were in their fifties, uh, you know, one, it's they took care of their bodies and people look at boxing as this brutal sport. You know, and we can talk about all day long, some misconceptions there. And, and yes, it definitely does. You suffer some blows and you take some punishment, but so do hockey players. So do equestrians who fall off horses. You know, there's there's dangers. There's there's stuff with with all sports. But point being. With boxing, we have a lot of of safety gear that Mm -hmm. is on all the time when we're training. And so unlike when you are, I guess, let's use, I guess, maybe football, for example, you know, you take all those hits and they talk about the concussions. The one thing is they're practicing with the same gear on that they're going to use in in their games. Mm -hmm. With boxing, the one thing is we... It's a little different. You you are you are trying to execute to the point of where you're not getting hit or taking very limited blows, or you know how to effectively, um, for lack of better terminology, slough off some of those punches and and reduce the power. And although you don't have headgear as a pro, and even as, as elite amateurs, at a certain point you no longer have headgear. Um, your whole training cycle. You're most nine times out of 10, you're wearing headgear. You have protective gear on all over. So it's, I, I just think, um, probably not as physical as some people might think. I mean, and some people are going to dispute that. Obviously it is physical by, by all, all accounts. Um, but I think when you look at, um, you know, when you look at repetitive motion of a pitcher's arm, you look at boxer or not, I'm sorry, boxers, football players, repeated hits, uh, you know, the shoulders and into the hips. Sure. And I I just think physically they tend to get broken down much faster than someone who's in boxing. Therefore, the later you start in life in boxing, and if you get to be that good and you continue on, I think you can, you can make a case for the fact that you're going to, you can possibly go a little bit longer. Yeah. Yeah, it's always it's it's remarkable that folks go go as late as they do, uh, and you see it even in MMA, which I think is um, I I think it's a less punishing sport, but that's only I don't know maybe I'm talking out of school here. Um, I I feel like it is because there's that ground game, you know. It's not always fisticuffs. You can get down to the ground and give your your cranium a rest or something like that. But even then. Uh, only I can only count on a couple of fingers who's made it past, uh, you know, into their forties, and a lot of them are, are, you know, they they hit forty, forty one, and then they're done. Like um, Couture right. or Liddell, I think Liddell made it to forty or forty one. Um, one of the big Vitor Belfort, I think he's in his forties or he's thirty nine. He's somewhere, but he's he's deflated anyways. That guy was on so many um, uh, yeah steroids that uh, I don't know. I don't know what he has left. But yeah. Well, then you have somebody like uh, I just saw yesterday where Rashad Evans is coming back. That's right. And, and so, which is amazing. I mean, and he is up there, um, you know, not not that he's, you know, 50 or 60, but he's he's not 20 either. No, no. And it does. I remember. Uh, do you remember Hamid Sanders? Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. So I was training with Hamid and actually we were, we took some kid and I can't remember his name for the life of me either. Man, my brain just. I'm getting old. Anyways, we we were cornering for this kid at a MMA fight down in Wilmington, and we were talking to these Team Rock guys, and and they were asking Hamid if he was going to get in the cage, and he was probably 36 at the time, and I was probably 32, 31, so he was always about four or five years older than me, and he said, you know, I, I 
I can still do jujitsu. I can do things like that, but I just don't have the speed. I don't have the speed to get into the cage with someone who's, you know, 25 or 24. They're always going to be that much faster than me. Um, and now that I'm 41, I totally get what he's saying. I didn't get it at the time because I still, man, between, if you keep yourself in shape between 28 and like 34, you are just in your prime. You are unstoppable. And it is right after that where you finally, I finally said, oh, that's what, that's what Hamid meant. Because there's no way, um, there's no way in hell I would get into a cage with anyone right now. I mean, I haven't trained in MMA in like five years, but I still, there's no way. There's, it's just not there. <laughs> right. And it's the same way I, you know, I was teaching a, a boxing class last night and I have this one, uh, one guy who, you know, has it in his head that he's going to go on and wants to look at competing. And, you know, I'm, I'm not going to begrudge anyone, you know, that opportunity who wants to do that. Now I don't train people who want to look at competing. I mean, with my job and, and everything that I do in, in family life, I don't have that, that time. And I have other areas of interest that I'm focusing on as well. But when, even when I teach a class, I teach it fundamentally, technically sound. And if someone's going to tell me that they, you know, want to compete and I see things, you know, I have to call them out on the carpet. And, you know, the, the this guy's, you know, in his 30s and thinks that, you know, he can do three, four months of training and be ready to go. And I said, dude, seriously, like you need to look at about a year. And then, you know, some kind of amateur bout and, you know, you know, because it's footwork, it's handwork, it's 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 everything. It's so much to learn. And, uh, you know, I I, I don't want people to, you know, even if I'm taking them just on the path of uh, of just basic kind of training, you know, I want them to understand what it what it's going to be like. And I was very you know honest with him. I said, look, you you might not like me, but I'm going to tell you you know, let me just show you something. And I just had him get in a stance that I'm not going to hit you. So just please know that. But I, I could have landed eight or nine punches on him in two seconds. I just used open hand and he's like, wow, you're fast. And I said, you think I'm fast? That's at 50. <laughs> I said, that's at 51. And yes, I used to be really fast. I said, but I've lost probably half. No, not half. I've probably lost 25 to 35% of my speed. Yeah. I said, but that's enough difference that if I were to get in the ring, I'd be hurt. I said, so I would never do that. But for someone who's never been to that level of a professional level, they think it's still fast. And for someone who's thinking about getting in the ring, I'm like, you need to understand that, you know, if, if I can do this to you, you you need to really think about what it is you're asking to take on. It's one thing to do it in a class and just do it for fun and get in shape. It's a whole different thing. Another another avenue to to go and get into the ring for competition. That's that's my favorite. Well, there's two things there. One of them, I mean, that's why they call it the sweet science. I mean, it's there's so many intangibles and variables that you have to you have to think about, and which makes it a, such a beautiful sport. I mean, when you when you actually practice it and you get into it and you spar. Um, it's addicting if you, if, if you like that sort of thing, but I mean, and it's what people don't understand is it's such a cerebral sport too. You have to be able to, it's like a chess game. You have to figure out what, what move you are going to try to get them with in four moves. You know what I mean? Very similar to to jujitsu and all that. Um, I, I always say this, and I think this is, is important for anyone who considers boxing or any sort of martial arts. I mean, I've been in martial arts since I was 10 years old is that my favorite part about it is that you can't fake it. There's no faking it. No. You know, you can do, you can hit a bag or you can do kata or whatever you're going to do. But when it comes down to a match, any match, I mean, be it jujitsu or wrestling, uh, collegiate wrestling, anything, you, when you're there, that's it. I mean, you you got to face it uh, unless you tap out or something like that. I mean, I suppose that's always an out, but you can't, you can't fake it. Well, that's that's uh, exactly right. And one of the, I have two two theories. One one people will always ask me, you know, what do you like about boxing? I said, well, for me, it's a chess game. Yeah. And it's and that's what I always say. It's a chess game. I'm trying to figure out how to get my moves in on my opponent before my opponent can get her moves in on me. And it's it's who can outthink and outperform at the same time. Because you, you have to put the actions into motion, but you have to think about what you're doing 
And when you've got someone coming back at you, you have to know how to react to that too, all in a, a nanosecond. The second part of that is, you know, I, 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 my favorite quote is, or what I say and what I, what I believe is you can play uh, basketball, you can play baseball, you can play football. You cannot play boxing. Yeah. Yeah. That there's makes no, sense. There's no, there's no plan. You don't play boxing. Right. You train, it becomes a profession and you go out and you execute. There's no other way around it. When, when did you start boxing? Uh, well, I, I played, uh, softball from the time I could throw a ball. Um, and I actually started out with baseball and here in New York, I was the first female in Steuben County to play on a boys, uh, grasshopper team. Right. So, I, so I started out playing baseball, um, little, uh, grasshopper, little league. Then when I had to move up, I decided to go to softball, played, you know, fast pitch softball through school, played in the Marine Corps, played for the all Marine softball team traveled japan back um that was my sport and i played for years and then finally you know i kind of got burnt out on it my my uh, right my right arm because i'm a, a pure sidearm from third base and shortstop um i played pro on a women's pro baseball league when when all that got to where it wasn't fun and i always said if something gets to a point where it's not fun or i'm just not really enjoying it then i will move on well i i got to that point one because of injuries uh you know just my rotator cuff was giving me some problems and then you know i just i was burnt out i was playing on two leagues plus a travel team so i was playing seven days a week for years and uh i started i went to the gym trying to find something else was at gold's gym lifting weights thought i wanted to get into bodybuilding did that for about a little over a year and i'm like this is not it so i actually discovered boxing by accident um went and interviewed for a job and it was uh between an outfit in north carolina and one in florida both being with uh, united van lines and actually, I take that back. One was with United Van Lines and one was with um, North American Van Lines. Well, I ended up taking the one in uh, Morrisville, North Carolina mm-hmm. with um, Beltman, North American Van Lines. And the president of the company at the time asked me what I like to do for fun. And I said, well, I you know, played ball, but right now I'm just working out, trying to kind of find what the next thing is I want to do. But, you know, I like to work out, be active. And he said, well, if you come work for me. Um, in a couple of weeks, uh, when you do that, I'm going to go ahead and introduce you to a, uh, young lady that is one of our lead contractors and packers. And, um, her name is Teresa Arguello and she used to be a professional boxer in the late seventies, early eighties. I'm like, okay, <laughs> took the job. And about two weeks later, they introduced me to her. She asked me if I wanted to do a boxing workout in the uh, warehouse. I said, sure. So I tried it. And uh, it was only about 20 minutes long. The next day I could not move. I was so sore. (laughs) And it just, I was like, okay, I've found what I want to do. And uh, she took me on. We trained and worked out together and um, in the warehouse outside in the 100 plus degree North Carolina sun and heat on concrete slabs, anywhere we could find a place, just doing mitt work. And then I ended up doing some tough man contests uh, decided to go amateur. Um, and at that time she, she, uh, her fiance at the time wanted her to spend more time at home. So she went her way. I went mine and I kind of ended up, you know, searching for a place to call home and, um, eventually ended up in, uh, a gym in Durham, North Carolina that was a building that should have been condemned and no one should have been allowed in, but (laughs) That's actually where I met Paul Marinaccio. Uh, I remember him. Yep. Walked up to this day. He's uh, my best friend. And I walked in there. I just started working on the bags. They said I could. And um, he saw that I was working on the bag and knew a little bit, but wasn't doing, you know, some things right. And he just kind of took me under his wing. And, you know, here's this six foot three, 230 pound guy uh, who's a southpaw showing me how to hit the bag right. Uh, along with Carlton Holland, and I started just hanging out with them, learning the ropes, and and then it just kind of took off from there. You know, and I, like with everybody else, you just kind of keep going until you find the right team, the right people, 
And one thing led to another. I did amateurs for about five and a half years. And uh, after an asthma attack, I took had to take about a year off just to get my uh, airflow back, my lung capacity. And then at that point, I'm like, well, if I'm going to do this, I need to go ahead and turn pro because I'm a little bit too old to be doing amateurs. I'm not going to get any bouts. And uh, then I went on the path of trying to go pro. What's, what's remarkable about that is it's a testament to your athletic ability because not only was this a second uh, uh, career, a uh, sporting career for you, but you made it to the pinnacle of the career. Like every boxer, just like every med student or every, um, I was going to say med student wants to be called doc at some point or medic or whatever. Every boxer, it's their dream to be called champ. I mean, that's that's the pinnacle. And um, how many boxers, at least in my days, did I know that trained and had this this thought that someday they were going to to the big show? And and none of them, you know, none of them did. Maybe some did some local fights or whatever, but it's it's not a common thing to go in and then win the belt. So that did that take you by surprise, or did you just have the confidence to go in there and do that? Uh, I'll, I'll be honest. I mean, I I guess my thought process, you know, all my life has always been. I I just had this I always have had this gut feeling that I was meant to do more in life and and whatever more was I couldn't have told you I just and even now I still always have that internal drive of you're meant to do more um like my motivational speaking things that you know I'm still pursuing now but on the boxing side of it you know I you know just kind of some insight is I lost my first four or five, I think it was four, uh, amateur bouts. And then, um, I went on and signed up to go out to California to participate in the women's U S nationals. So I'm an Owen four boxer going out to women's U S nationals. And I ended up taking third place in the country. Wow. So, you know, I just always knew that if my mentality was, if I, if I train hard enough and I keep trying, I know I have the heart and I know I'll outwork almost anybody. And I might not have the most natural talent, but if I work hard enough at it and keep at it and keep at it and keep learning from my mistakes that I'll eventually, you know, I'll go as, as far as I can possibly go. And, you know, for me, it was as an amateur, I ended up making it to, um, uh, making it to uh, two bronze medals two years in a row at two different weight classes. And then as a pro, I turned around and did the same thing. I lost my first um, – I, I lost my first three, and then I won my fourth one. And then I lost two more. Then I won two more. Then I lost two. Then I went on a winning streak and won eight lost two and then won two more. So, I mean, yeah. I didn't, I didn't always, um, you know, win them all, but I, I tried to learn from everything and not, not, uh, just give up. I mean, the only time I really thought about giving up and actually had, um, I had told my team at the time, uh, it was January 31st. It was a fight January 31st as a pro. I said, this is going to be like my last fight. And it was in 2005 and the, that I had just started working with uh, uh, coach Bradley from the men's U S Olympic team. And uh, I just said, you know, look, it's, it's just too hard. I'm not getting any fights. And, and he was actually, he had kind of just started watching me. He wasn't really like on board on my team yet, or I wasn't on his team, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a, a Harold cook was uh, working with me and I just said, you know, I can't, I can't really get any fights. It's at my age and stuff. It's hard. I'm not getting much of anything. And so I said, I, I think maybe, you know, it's just time for me to kind of hang it up. And I fought uh, Carrie flock, the hometown girl. And, uh, it was a black tie event in Charlotte, North Carolina, raising money for uh, children and it was black tie. You, you couldn't even go out on the floor as a boxer. You went out, escorted out, you got in the ring, you did your thing and you were, you were back out in the 
locker room and gone. <laughs> like a gladiator. <laughs> yeah, they because it was it was a lot of high profile people, athletes, a lot of money. They were there for charity. Mm-hmm. And we were there to put on a show. And I'll never forget because it was like watching TV. You know, you came down, there was lights, cameras. Um, there were uh, um, Bruce. Uh, now I'm going to forget his name. Uh, let's get ready to rumble. Yeah, not, I, I can't, not Bruce Buffer, but uh, his brother. Uh, yes. So um, Michael Buffer. Michael Buffer was, yep. was the uh, announcer. And I mean, you've got all these people. So then they, the, the, the catch to that one was my favorite boxer at the time. And still one of my all-time favorites, Evander Holyfield, was in attendance. And we had been told that there was going to be a big-name you know, boxer there, but they didn't tell us who it was until the fights were getting ready to start. And he was my favorite. Well, after the fight, um, my coach said, hey, Bonnie, come on down, and um, I want to introduce you to somebody. And they took me down to Evander Holyfield at his table. And so I was pretty starstruck. And I sat down, and the one thing he said, because I had just won the bout, he said, um, listen, I don't know you know, if it's uh, your talent, your, your team, your coach, you, combination, but whatever it is, he goes, you, you have what it takes. And at that moment, I said, if my, favorite, if my favorite boxer is telling me that I have what it takes, I'm not quitting. I'm not, that's not me anyway. And so I decided not to quit, and four months later is when I won my first world title. Nice. Now, I was just... I was just able to share that story with him personally last year at the uh, International Boxing Hall of Fame inductions and uh, shared it with him. And he actually uh, told his wife about it a little bit. And I got to talk to her a little bit. And uh, I'm going back up there. Matter of fact, tomorrow to the uh, Hall of Fame inductions. Oh, that's so, cool. I didn't realize that that's tomorrow. Yeah, it's well, it started today. Okay. And it goes from Thursday through Sunday. It's always the second weekend of. Um, june okay i um my dad grew up in buffalo and every every summer we would drive out to buffalo and i uh it's corning is it corning or corning kind of soda no is it canna soda yeah okay is where that is and yeah which is about two hours from where i'm at yeah and i remember we used to always stop there it was just on the way we used to always stop at the uh the boxing hall of fame Maybe that's where my uh, uh, bug for fighting got in. I, I don't know. Um, well, that's that's really cool. Plus, how can you? I mean, it, it sounds like just the the event itself was worth living. I mean, you oh, know, sure. uh, just having Michael Buffer being able to call, <laughs> call the fight. You know, that's that's incredible. Yeah. Well, you know, and that's that's what I say when people. It's it's uh, it's strange to me because. I know that in you know a lot of ways, and I've had people say this, and it's it's strange for me to hear because I still get starstruck by you know every boxer out there, and but the things that I've accomplished have allowed me to have a little bit more of an insight and inside track to a lot of these people that um, the average person doesn't necessarily get to have. And I wish I could because it's amazing. Um, but at the same time, then I have people looking at me going, wow, you know, you you have three world titles. Oh, and you were inducted into the uh, Marine Corps Boxing Hall of Fame. And, you know, and because I have the Hall of Fame ring and jacket. Oh, nice. And- I, d- I didn't realize that uh, you got into the Marine Corps Hall of Fame. I saw a picture of you there. I didn't realize you had got in. That's great. Yeah, I went in uh, last year. And congratulations. Um, thank you. Um the funny thing is I didn't box when I was in the Marine Corps because yeah. they, didn't have, they didn't have women boxing at that time in the Marine Corps. I played softball for them, but um, I guess it was just because of the accomplishments outside of of what I did after I got out of the Marine Corps. And um, But Michael uh, – or I'm sorry, Leon Spinks, um, who I've become acquaintances with, uh, he and his wife Brenda, who I just – I had meant, uh, messaged last night because they're up there already and – um, so I'm excited to go and reunite and be able to, you know, talk to them for a little bit uh, tomorrow. But he was inducted the year before and we're the only two at that time that had our pictures hung up inside the Pentagon. Oh, nice. Um, with, yeah. And, and I mean, but, you know, someone said, wow, you were inducted uh, into the Marine Corps Boxing Hall of Fame, just like Leon uh, Spinks. And when you think about that, I'm like, 
never in my life would I could I have if he had said you your name will be associated with Leon Spinks, I would have been like, You're crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just the way life life goes sometimes. I um do do you think that your training in the Marine Corps, because I'm a fellow veteran, um, do you think it it it, it, did it instill any ethics, any of that drive into your ability to to push on and to overcome adversity? Oh, uh, absolutely. I mean, it's uh, that had a, a big, you know, pushing factor was was my training, and you know that no matter what, you just keep going and you, you get it done, and you don't quit. You know, you you have to just keep going. So the Marine Corps definitely played a a huge role in my success uh, with the boxing. But also, uh, you know, one of the things or some of the things that I share with my motivational speaking, the reason I do it is I believe, you know, I, you know, people can believe whatever they want as far as God, um, Allah, Buddha, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, But I believe that that God has a purpose for everyone's life. And I believe that mine was to be able to have this platform to be able to share my story so I can help save other people. And I've been doing this for a while and it's probably the most uh, amazing and gratifying thing that I do is my motivational speaking. And I'm getting ready to work with a foundation that we have just set up and it's for, to help with the opioid addiction epidemic that's going on because obviously we know that that's a huge huge issue major issue right now and i i had a uh, friend and fellow uh former co-worker who just lost her third year old son in april Mm. um and we have a lot of similarities uh so you know when someone says what are you going to talk about and say well i am in a nutshell all all wrapped into one speech going to talk about uh sexual abuse as a child um, addiction. Um, there's a few other, th- uh, attempted suicide. Those are things that I speak of and I speak of those be- from experience, mm. personal experience. And m- cause my belief is if I can overcome things that I, that I overcame when I was a kid and, and then uh, on top of that, and I just always had kind of that resilience of, you know what, bad things happen to good people, but you don't give up you keep going because there's a purpose and a reason that you're still here. So when I go out and speak, um, I share those things and I share very personal stories, which I did. I didn't do until just a few years ago. Um, and, and God rest my mother's soul. Um, she never heard me speak and she did not know of most of what I went through. And, and it was stuff that happened when I was, you know, a kid at seven years of age. Mm. So, you know, I do that because I want to. I and I believe without boxing, honestly, I, I could have the Marine Corps. I could have everything else without boxing and without the success that that I was able to find. Um, even though it wasn't as great as people like you know Layla Ali and Christy Martin and Mia St. John and people like that, but my level of success has allowed me to have a platform where I can effectively go out and try to help change someone's life. Yeah. So for me, it was all it was all worth it, and I think that's exactly why I was a I was brought through to do the things that I did. So uh, you know, yes, I think the Marine Corps played a big part of it, but I also believe, and I believe things that I went through as a, a kid and and as a young adult uh, had a big part of it, and I also believe that it was it was God's purpose for me to you know deal with certain things in life and come out on the other side so that I could be where I'm at right now. Sure. And you you did a, a a thing with Christy Martin just recently, didn't you? Was it an exhibition fight or? Uh, no, um, it wasn't an exhibition fight. Uh, so, backstory to that was Christy Martin and I were supposed to fight back in um, I don't know. I want to say maybe it was two thousand and two, um, okay. two thousand and four. I, I don't remember the exact time frame that we were supposed to fight, and um, we signed contracts she and i both signed contracts it was all set i turned down fights in germany she turned down other fights we were locked and loaded um and ready to go we were going to fight for the nabf title uh we were the main event it was going to be at richmond coliseum in virginia hector camacho jr was going to be the co-main event 
And five days before the fight, they pulled Christy Nye off the card. Oh, why? So, yeah. And, and, and there was, you know, there was, you know, she and I could speculate all we wanted to. We kind of knew from talking to one another that the promoter was, you know, trying to play each side against each other. And, um, you know, Christy was asking for too much money. Well, I, I knew, and cause Christy was very open and honest with me, what she normally got for a fight and I knew what they were going to pay her. So that wasn't the issue. It was the pr- promoter wasn't doing their job, didn't know what they were doing and they, they weren't selling any tickets. So they had to pull it. They tried to, you know, get us off the card, promote the co-main event up to the main event. And it, it still floundered. I mean, we were. You know, Christie's team was involved with lawyers. Um, but fast forward, uh, Christy and I ended up meeting um, up here in Belfast, New York, a few years ago. Um, actually, about five or six years ago at the Bare Knuckle Boxing Hall of Fame, because that is up here as well. I didn't and, even know that existed. I would love to go yeah. there. I'm, I'm related to John L. Sullivan, the... Greatest bare knuckle well, boxer of all time. <laughs> well, then Kevin Sullivan, you should be going there because it is all about him. Is it really? And, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I have it's stories the, stories of my great uncles watching him fight, going to watch him fight. It's the actual training center. Um, I mean, you you absolutely should go there. It's in Belfast. It's it's not far from where I'm at right now, like 45, 50 minutes. Mm-hmm. And uh, you remember Bill Clancy, the the referee mm-hmm. that lives in Pittsburgh, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. He's getting he's getting inducted this year. Oh, really? Yep. So that's July. That's next month. I'll be there for that as well. That's pretty cool. Um, but uh, yes, yeah, so so she was there, and I I saw she was going to be there, and um, actually my ex saw she was going to be there, so we took a ride out with the kids, and um, I met up with her, and we hung out a little bit. Um, got along really, really well. And I even said to her, I said, you know what? I, I think there was a reason why we did not end up fighting each other. And so I ended up, uh, also going, she promoted a show down in, she co-promoted a show, but it was really, it was, it was, uh, a couple of different promoters and it, she was the main promoter down in Charlotte, North Carolina, cause that's where she, uh, resides. And, um, she is a very good promoter down there now with pink promotions. And I went down there to help support her and help support the other promoter who actually is from Rochester up here in New York. And, uh, it was an amazing night, an amazing event. Um, ended up having a world title, a uh, female world title holder out of that fight that night. And, um, I did a, I did a radio broadcast uh, Christy, myself, and Carlette Ewell, and Carlette and I were supposed to be doing an exhibition on her card, and they end up um, pulling that off. Oh, okay. So, yeah, so that that's what happened there. Is she was actually Christy was actually promoting the card, and it was every card she's promoted since then has been amazing down there, from what I understand. I've only been to the one. I intend to go to one of the next ones coming up, but uh, she and and several other females have uh, become really uh, big in the game in the sport of, of boxing, both on men and women's side. Well, uh, people don't realize how much of the promotion, like how much that whole aspect plays into the sport itself. Because um, all people do is they go to pay-per-view and they watch the two fighters. And they don't realize everything that happens behind the scenes, whether it's negotiations, whether who's getting what as far as you know, cut of the purse or, or anything. And a lot of it can be smarmy. A lot of it can be uh, – I mean, Ooh, yes. yeah, yeah. And it's it, – I think it's too bad. I mean I suppose boxing is where it is. Well, I, I guess I can eat those words. I guess in the '90s, boxing got to where it was because of that. But I also think boxing, where is it, where it ugh, is where it is today, because of that. Um, I mean, I don't know. What are your thoughts on, um, let's say, the last 15 years of boxing? Where, and I think I emailed you this. Just sitting typing out, I'm trying to think of of modern day uh, greats, and I can only come up with a couple. And it might be because I'm, I, I don't have as much time to watch it. But growing up, I could name. 10 different, you know, fighters. I mean, we were, oh, it, uh, the boxers were just as big as the baseball players and just as big as the football players. And then somewhere it kind of, it kind of trickled away. You know, people tend to, 
take and look at boxing versus UFC and where, you know, did that take away from the boxing? You know, the, the thing is, the people who are true purists and love boxing, they're always going to be there for boxing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, and UFC that because there's so many different um, facets to that, you know, with your your grappling and your kickboxing and your boxing and your judo, you're going to get a lot of people who are martial artists yeah. and boxing fans. I mean, you're going to get a lot of people who like that. But those who really, truly love boxing are still going to love boxing. So. It's a little bit, I guess, of a – I think it's – it can get kind of muddled as to where boxing really stands. Um, if you look at the, the purists at heart, boxing's still very much alive. And as a matter of fact, uh, I, I think the difference is back then, you know, you had all this free TV, right? You had ABC Wide, Wide World of Sports. Mm-hmm. I, remember, I remember sitting as a kid on my own at home watching – um, Ray Boom Boom Mancini and Duku Kim when when unfortunately Duku Kim lost his life um, due to the results of the punishment he took mm-hmm. in the room and that was one of the very first fights I remember seeing and I was drawn to boxing then but had no reason I mean I didn't know why because I wasn't ever exposed to it didn't know but I was drawn to it back then and watched it and but a lot of everything was free back then Fast forward to then we got into nothing but pay-per-view, pay-per-view, pay-per-view. Yep. And when you have pay-per-view and it ends up being a crappy card, and I'll I'll say that just as honest as anything, they're they're I'm not trying to to cuss, they're crappy cards that people are paying all kinds of money for. Well, you're gonna lose people who pay for that. Sure. They're gonna they're gonna try to bootleg it, they're gonna try to find someone who's doing a live feed. They're going to do whatever they can to still see it, but without paying the money. Yeah. And so then you, you know, and you end up getting a lot of people who think that they can be a promoter or they think they can, you know, put money. So you look at someone like 50 cent who comes in, right. And, and he's, he's buddy, buddy with, uh, Floyd Mayweather. Mm -hmm. Then there's a rift there and they separate and, you know, so you get a little bit of a black eye um, and and then it's all about money and it's this and it's that. It's just not as clean, even though it was dirty back then. Mm-hmm. It's not as clean as it was clean cut, I should say, or clear as it was back in the day when you had Hagler and Hearns and Mancini and, uh, you know, I mean, Duran and. All those other guys, yeah, and and Tyson and you know Cooney, uh, Jerry Cooney. You, I mean, you could name them all, you know, all day long. Mm-hmm. Now, the difference is you've got you don't have a ton of superstars that are out there that are leaving this long term imprint on people. Um, it, you know, the, the ones I can think of off the top of my head, you know, and I, and I can, I'll start with like, you know, I can go Pacquiao and Kodo and, you know, a lot of those guys are towards retirement age now and, and, or have just recently retired, but now you're looking at young guns and you've got like Deontay Wilder and, you know, uh, Sean Porter, um, Berto, and then you got triple G. So you can still come up with a lot of names. I just don't think there's as many big names in each division as there used to be 15, 20, 30, you know, 30 years ago. Yeah. Okay. So I, yeah, that makes sense. Know, yeah. I, I just, there's names out there there and believe it, just the report I saw, I don't know, a couple of days ago that there's uh, going to be a lot of free televised boxing getting ready to come back around the corner. Um, so that you've got the the one that's on, I think, is it NBC? But it's the uh, uh, I'm gonna lose uh, the thought of what what it was called. But the is it P P something? But anyway, you, you have that one that's always on free TV. Well, they're getting ready to do now. There was a big buyout and merge for millions and millions and millions of dollars, and it's it's going to supposedly going to end up creating uh, a lot more like it was back in the 70s and 80s where you could turn on ABC, NBC, you know, now maybe Fox or whatever channel, and you're going to be able to see some really good 
uh, boxing that you're not going to have to pay for. Yeah. Well, that, that'd be good. And the other difference, too, it's so hard to compare it to the UFC because UFC is just a, a titan. You know, they, they're, they're a monopoly in that one fight sport. Uh, and, and it's just, it's run completely different. And I don't know if, I don't think boxing could ever do that. I, I don't think it could ever, um, I don't know what word I'm looking for, but uh, conglomerate, come together into one right. one unit. I mean, it's always going to be fractured and and. That's what you get. Do you think Mayweather, honest question, do you think Mayweather is good or bad for the business? Ugh. <laughs> does, that, does that answer my question right there? Yeah, yeah. And you know what? Here, here's the thing with Mayweather, right? I respect, his, I respect his talent. I mean, I don't think there's anyone out there that can deny how talented the guy is with, in his, with his boxing. He's also a very smart businessman. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I have a, a, an acquaintance I know that, that, uh, shoots video for him, does a lot of photos for him, basically, you know, is in and out of that gym all day long. And, and she's done a book unboxing through the lens of a camera. I mean, amazing individual. They're very close. Um, so, you know, I, I guess it's easy for us, I think on the outside looking in, to make a judgment of somebody and and we all we're human. We do it. I, I look at who is the person when they're in the ring and who are they when they're out of the ring? So the man who's in the ring, I can respect very much for his ability in boxing. He's like, he's a ninja. Like you, you watch him dodge uh, punches and it's like, where, (laughs) how did he do that? (laughs) And, but when, you know, as a female and, and when I look at, what he was in the news for, what he went to jail for. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it does, it put, it puts a black eye on it. Um, you know, it puts a different spin on, on how I view him. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I, I, you know, I look at it and it's, it's one of those, it's one of those tough spots, right? I want to like the guy, but I, I can only like him for what he does in the ring. And I know granted, I know he does a lot of stuff out in the community he, you know, he has the money. He does do a lot of stuff. I know people that are, you know, kind of on his inside camp. I know he does a lot of good stuff, but it's still that one little, it's that one little issue with the, the domestic uh, violence side of it mm-hmm. that, that just for me has that red flag. Sure. And, you know, if I'm, and I don't want to say if I met the guy, maybe my mind will change because you, you've done what you've done. You know, you, you can't erase that. Um, you know, he can't erase what he was on trial for and the time he, but again, you know, people, people change people, uh, you know, so I don't know. I don't know him personally like that. So do I think he's good for boxing? You know, I think he has the money to do good. And if he's able to, you know, do that with, the boxing side of it, then, you know, and it's on the up and up, then I say it's a good thing. I'd like to, prior to the domestic thing, think that that was, you know, because before, what was his nickname before? Um, like uh, when he was coming up, it was something completely different. Uh, and he was like the quiet guy. Uh, right. And and then I'd like to think that he just took on a persona, you know, the persona of, of showing up to clubs and throwing money out and stuff like that. It became his thing. Money Mayweather. That That's what he is now uh, before. Gosh, I can't even think what he was. Uh, that's going to bug me now because I remember when he was up and coming, was it money? Whatever. It doesn't matter. Uh but he he switched, and I thought that that perhaps was just his his persona that he was putting on. And then the domestic violence thing happened, and maybe maybe he convinced himself. Maybe it just became, you know, you can only live a certain way so long that you actually become that person. And maybe that was the case. Uh, he's fun to watch, I suppose. I thought that Conor McGregor Mayweather fight. I don't. I didn't know what to make of that. I watched it, um, but I think McGregor is kind of the same thing. You know, and maybe people like that. Maybe people. Well, it's it's what draw it's what draws people's attention because you know I I said, you know, people kept asking me, you know, and they will when you're in a sport they want to ask you your opinion and how you think the outcome is going to be. I'm like, well, 
I think the outcome is going to be very obvious that it's yeah. that it's going to be Mayweather. I mean, there's I don't see it going any other way at all. Yeah, there was no way Connor could win. And I said I w- I said and I'm not going to I'm not going to watch it. But guess who watched it? Because you know, I yeah. I did. I watched it because I wanted to see, well, how is this going to play out? Can Connor kind of, you know, find some other little niche uh, of nuance that's going to work for him that hasn't worked for anyone else in 48, 49 bouts. And, you know, obviously the answer was no, mm-hmm. but, but, you know, again, everybody watched it. I, uh, not everybody, but a lot, millions of people watched it. The, and I think another aspect of boxing, which a lot of people don't look at is some of these guys grow up in the back streets, you know, they, their, their upbringing isn't the best, uh, I mean, look at Tyson for perfect example. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, when he got into to high school, he was kind of adopted by his coach there and everything. So there was that little bit of a, tra- a change. But still, um, these guys are killers, you know, and girls. You, you guys, <laughs> you're trained killers. And if someone has a, an unstable background, it can be a dangerous situation, especially you take an unstable background. Um, they excel at at fighting, and now you throw millions of dollars at them. It's almost the perfect uh uh, recipe for disaster oh sure i mean it, it's it's like anybody you, whether it's boxing you know entertainment you know singers actors actresses child actors yeah, you know yeah. you you take you take anyone who has nothing or has just very little or average and you put a ton of money where now there's no limit to anything you have what you want you do what you want that tends if they're not very well grounded or have great people around them, you know, it goes to their heads and, and, uh, they, they do tend to, you know, sometimes unfortunately change in a way that's not, um, you know, in a positive way for them. Yeah. Yeah. And then it, it, it comes back to that, you know, it, it, the sport itself doesn't make the problem. In fact, I think it fixes a lot of problems. And I think children growing up should have some sort of martial arts. I think it should be you know, you know, parents that don't give their children that education. And that's just me. That's my opinion. But I learned so much from it. I have my kids at three and four years old uh, hitting the pads. I mean, it's with me and it's at a, you know, it, I, I just, I talk to them about it, what it is. And it's not for us, it's not violence. It's, it's hand eye coordination and they love it. Oh my gosh. My son's doing combos. Mm-hmm. He's five and he's, you know, whap, 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 whap. <laughs> it's well, great. I started, I started that with my, uh, at the time our daughter was, Ooh, let's see. She was like three maybe mm-hmm. and uh put some gloves on her gloves went like all the way past her elbow but yep. she was just she was hitting my mitts and just teaching her and she's the one that really kind of latched onto it and wanted to do it and you know and again though at that age three four and you're like okay this stays right at home yeah nowhere else mm-hmm. and darned if that little uh kid didn't take it into daycare and oh no that was that was the end of that was the end of uh boxing lessons for a couple of years until she got a little bit older (laughs) it's just it's just so great for confidence and for yeah uh and then i guess yeah yeah you gotta let you got to introduce it when they when they can actually uh do those things what is the future for bonnie mann well i i for me what i'm i'm hoping is you know I think the pinnacle for me was, was getting into the uh, Marine Corps Boxing Hall of Fame, and I'm hoping I can take that and elevate uh, my ability to be able to go out and speak. I mean, my dream, my, my ultimate goal and dream is to travel you know, nationwide, worldwide if it allows, but nationwide nonetheless to uh, help now with this foundation of the uh, Serenity Fund. We're creating a scholarship for – um, individuals who have gone through recovery and have applied to a um, at least a two-year school um, or a tech school, and we're going to help uh, get them into that because we want to provide uh, hope. If you don't give them some options and hope, you know, people always say they, you know, sometimes they just have to hit rock bottom. Well, sometimes rock bottom is death. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, and, it is. Right, and. You know, can you save everybody? Obviously, no. But 
if we can make a difference in one person's life, then, you know, everything that we're doing is for that. So we do have a, our first uh, rally set up and we're going to start at Watkins Glen International Speedway uh, with all the cars doing three laps and then going on a historical tour around Seneca Lake, um, ending with a music jam fest at the end. Um, and then I'll speak there. Uh, so my, my goal is just to be able to uh, try to speak as often as I can and help encourage people to, you know, follow their dreams. And, you know, if they've come through across struggles and are going through struggles or have come through struggles that, that maybe they'll be open to, you know, getting some help um, if they need it and uh, not, you know, hold on to it for 40 years like I did. And, um, so, I mean, my, my goal is, you know, I work at the Y and I, I see that I can effectively help change or have an impact, positive impact on people's lives every day, but I'm hoping I can do it more on a, um, national level and, and speak and have my voice heard and, and try to help some people. Um, are you on Twitter or you, you have a Facebook, right? Queen B on Facebook. Yeah, it's yeah. I'm, it's on Facebook. It's um, I have two, but my my main page is uh, just uh, WBE Champ one six zero, and that's just under Bonnie Man. Okay. And then on Twitter, it's WBE Champ one six zero. Okay. Really cool. Well, thank you very much for taking your time and talking with me. Um, I think this show is going to resonate well. Uh, you got a great story, and uh, I, you know what's funny? I I didn't know. Back when when we knew each other personally, I didn't I didn't know you were a uh, a marine. Um, usually, I can yeah. sniff that out just because you know vets can kind of feel each other out. But I I had no idea until um until I was putting together some notes for this conversation. Oh wow! Well, see see what you learned. Yeah yeah yeah. That's really <laughs> cool. Um, that makes me it, you you've moved up a notch on my on my uh, ladder here. I, what I found is one of the hardest transitions um, coming from. So had I been, because I was Air Force, I was a flyer, which is kind of like, it's kind of like military. I mean, it's more like a bunch of dudes that just fly around and and have fun. (laughs) Um, But I think the hardest part for me was coming back as a combat veteran and seeing some of the things that I saw. And then, and that wasn't the hard part, right? Being shot at and everything wasn't the hard part. It was coming back to a civilian world and being like, you know, hearing people complain about stupid things. And I'm like, I, I really missed the camaraderie. Um, and it's something that, that you can only get when you're in that, that group. And I think that's the hardest transition. I mean, it's been 10 years since I'm out. I'm obviously transitioned, but that, that was the hardest transition. And, I, and getting back, when I, when I got back, and I, I think I told you at the very beginning of this conversation in 2007, that was like when I first was a civilian again, getting with a group of uh, what, what was my therapy was getting with a group of fighters and hanging out with those guys uh, and girls every, you know, I was going there like every day. I mean, and, and right. doing jujitsu and sparring. It was just, oh, it was great. Uh, it was kind of, I, I got a lot of the same feeling, I guess is what I'm trying to say in a roundabout way. Oh, yeah. And I completely get it because when I went down to, you know, I hadn't been around a bunch of Marines in forever. And going down to Camp Lejeune, and being back on that base and being around all the Marines, uh, we, we, you know, we were off base at a hotel before the, the event, but getting around those guys, I, I had never met. I think there was one of them I had met once before, but I've never met any of them before that. And that was the most amazing thing to me. Uh, well, except for Leon Springs, I'd met him before. That was the most amazing experience was it was like we were brothers and sisters and had known each other all of our lives. Yeah. And to now because of that one event, I have about, I don't know, 40 new family members. That's right. That's right. And, and uh, you know, and we're always like, Hey, when, Hey sis, when are you going to come back down this way and we could get together? And I, I did, I went and uh, helped open up a title boxing, a grand opening for a title boxing club down in Machuchin, um, uh, New Jersey. I mean, it was, you know, just things like that are amazing. You don't realize what kind of bond you really do have. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a weird dichotomy too. Cause I, 
I would love my children to experience that, but I also don't ever want them to go into harm's way. So it's like, what do you do? You know, uh, yeah. how, do, how do you, and I guess I'll cross that path in like 15 years, but at this point, yeah. I'm just enjoying those children. <laughs> so yeah, again, thank you so much for, for taking your time. Um, well, thank you, Kevin. Have a good night. All right. You too. Take care. Right. Bye-bye. Like us on Facebook.com slash WWI Podcast and at WWI Podcast on Twitter. Drop us a line at WaitsWhatIfPodcast at Yahoo.com. Listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher or TuneIn Internet Radio. your listening experience. Now go forth and expand your reality.